0: what is Buya kasha I feel like I've heard that randomly for 30 years and I've never known I don't I don't know if anyone knows I've never what, asked what it
1: means I believe it was uh the Sasha Baron Cohen character Ollie G oh
2: Welcome to I'd buy that for a dollar. A podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, Wartime consigliere
0: to the Stars. I I haven't watched that movie recently enough to know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> Our listeners don't know what that movie is, so they don't know what Oh, they're you're gonna talk. know
0: now. <laughs> I'm Jeremiah Queen. And I'm asking you to take the gun and leave the cannoli because I don't, I don't, guns make me nervous and I like cannoli.
1: There you go. Works out for you. Yeah. Well, I am co-host Peter Cook and don't ask me about my business, Kay.
0: It's Godfather. That's what we're referencing on all of these.
1: That's right. Why would we
2: be doing that? Have we finally given up the show premise and are introducing our new movie podcast where we just talk about The Godfather? Is that what's happening? I hope not.
1: Surely there is not another Godfather podcast out there.
2: Yeah, we've got to be the first ones. It's a really underappreciated film that I think finally deserves some attention from the media. It's about time.
0: I've actually watched that movie multiple times, the first two, and I can't remember a thing about it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> about either of the first two films yeah except
0: for the quote that you yeah like some if the guy's daughter's getting married so he's got to give them something or I don't
1: <laughs> I want no this would be a good podcast Jeremy Ruggles describes the plot of <laughs> the films that he's seen and doesn't really remember <laughs> yeah the Godfather with the guy's daughters that he's got to give him something <laughs> yeah yeah
2: Guy like eats an orange and then passes out or something. I don't know what happens. It's, uh, it's a cannoli. There's
1: yeah. <laughs> a horse head. Yeah. Well, Sean just watched it today. Yeah, I was
2: gonna say it's fresh for me. I just watched it today in preparation for this episode, and I gotta say, The Godfather. What a sausage fest, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs>
2: there are very very few lines spoken by a not male character in that movie i gotta say i'm waiting for the mama corleone cut i need an extra like 20 30 minutes of carmela corleone really explore her backstory more that's what the movie needed
1: well i think that's what we're kind of sort of gonna do today right
2: yeah we're at least expanding the mythology sure
1: lay it on us sean what are we talking about
2: we're talking about the great, the legendary Morgana King in her 1973 album, New Beginnings.
1: And what is the significance of Morgana King in relation to The Godfather?
2: (laughs) She had a minor role in the film, playing Carmela Corleone, the wife of Marlon Brando's character, Don Corleone. And uh, I gotta say, she was so good in the movie. It was really fun going back knowing that we're going to be talking about her and really watching for every scene that she's in and she just added so much to the film she really grounded it in a lot of scenes and brought this like authenticity to the movie that it really needed but anyway enough about godfather let's listen to a song off this album we're gonna start side a track one you are the sunshine of my life
0: So an odd metaphor popped into my mind whilst listening to this album of kind of like being at a show, like you went to a show alone and you know, the band ended and you're waiting for the next band to go on and this person kind of walks up to you and like starts talking to you and you're like, this person looks kind of normal, like this is going to be fine. And they start talking about like, micro cryptids and weather control systems or something crazy and you're just like oh no this is incredibly strange
2: (laughs) (laughs) and that opening song made you think of that particular kind of vibe
0: no this opening song was like when they're like first talking to you and you think things are normal oh okay the whole song yeah a a deceptive intro (laughs) this is like my feeling taking in the album the first time was like oh this this is like chill soft jazz and then it just kept feeling weirder and weirder i guess i'm kind of foreshadowing but
1: oh yeah that's true that opening cut which is a stevie wonder track you also said while we were listening jeremy that it was hard your brain kept wanting to revert to the stevie wonder version yeah (laughs) just like you're so used to that one but yeah it does get from here on out it does get i don't know more unsettling i don't know if that's the right word but it it definitely doesn't stay in this more tranquil
0: vibe it's like kind of tranquil throughout. But, yeah, but like very strange. Yeah. I don't know. It's strange and
2: unsettling. I mean, there's there's a lot of emotion happening on this record and a lot of those emotions are loneliness and kind of sorrow. There's some dark themes happening throughout this record but not so much present on the song You Are the Sunshine of My Life. It's a, <laughs> a light intro, but I will say even her vocal styles and interpretations of the song I could see being divisive amongst people and the fact that it's you know, a, a very commercial, smooth jazz kind of sound to it. We've talked plenty of times about how some people just can't get down with that, but it's a pleasant song to start an album with some troubled themes later on.
1: It reminded me a lot of the album Deceit by This Heat. You know, it starts with that sleep song that's kind of like a lullaby almost, and then it just gets really dark from there. (laughs) That's the, the extreme version.
2: Yeah, well, that's an interesting comparison too because I feel like Morgana King is one of those artists that definitely completely worked within the pop and commercial realms of her day. But the few people that remember her now, I think are maybe more uh, people dealing with experimental music. You know, there's sometimes artists who are kind of remembered by a different crowd than who they initially appealed to. And I feel like if Morgana King isn't that now, she should be. Uh, more people are due to rediscover this amazing singer.
1: That must be why we are talking about her.
2: That is exactly why. It's the whole point of this show.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we've already mentioned her association with The Godfather appearing in that film. That was 1972. This album was 1973. So it's hot on the heels of that film.
2: Yeah, The the Godfather film is, I think, very important to this album, and we will explore more of that as we go on. But I was one thing I was wondering, how much time did you guys get a chance to put into listening to Morgana? Did you check out any of her other albums at all? And did your impression of her music change after the first listen? Because I feel like this is one of those artists that really you got to sit with to fully appreciate.
1: I listened to this album a handful of times the past couple days. I definitely immediately really liked it because it was... I guess I don't know what I expected, but it was weirder (laughs) than I would have guessed. She sings in a scene in The Godfather, correct?
2: Yes. Uh, Really early on in the movie, during the wedding scene, the band is playing and they encourage her to come up and sing a little bit. And then another older family member sings after her. It's a real cute little scene.
1: Yeah. So that, that would have been the only knowing context I had for her as a vocalist. Uh, It was quickly, within maybe half of the album, the first time I was listening, I was starting to get Scott Walker vibes from this record.
2: Yeah, you had mentioned that in the group chat, that this is your your new favorite Scott Walker record, which was a comparison I hadn't thought of up until that point, but it makes perfect sense. Again, with what I was talking about of a former pop artist transitioning to a more experimental music fan base.
1: Yeah, yes, because Scott Walker began with the Walker brothers who had some, they were kind of like a teen idol band in the sixties. They had hits with the sun ain't going to shine anymore and make it easy on yourself. Those are two of the really big songs. Uh, but then he kind of simultaneously embarked on a solo career, or at least I don't know the exact sequence of things with him, his solo career in the Walker brothers. Cause I know he was going back and forth at times, but the material that he began to record as a solo artist was More experimental, a lot of it was actually informed heavily by the French singer Jacques Brel. Mm. He eventually established himself as a highly experimental musician by the 90s.
2: Yeah, he like disappeared for about 10 years in the 80s and then came back with some of the most challenging, uncomfortable music ever recorded. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: But in the early on in those solo records, you can t- you can tell that there's more to this guy than just like a teen pop band that, you know, like the Walker Brothers were huge in the 60s. Uh, they, they were they were a big popular band, you know, rivaling like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah,
2: but they were like the safer version, right? They were like the the teen idol band that you could like tell your parents you were into and not get in trouble kind of thing.
1: Yeah, kind of maybe like Herman's Hermits.
2: <laughs> yeah, which which made his eventual transition into weirdo stuff even more striking.
1: Yeah. But yeah, the, the early solo records where there's at least a strong overtones of melancholy and lots of strings, but it's kind of uncomfortable. It's not unlistenable yet. I, I, I hate to call Scott Walker unlistenable, but let's face it, some of his stuff you have to be in a very specific mood for. <laughs> but yeah, this, so this record, I got some of those vibes from it
0: can't wait for Justin Timberlake's The Drift.
1: (laughs) We may just see it yet.
0: You know, in regards to Morgana's unique
2: style and her experimental appeal, she had said that throughout her career she felt that she always attracted a younger audience than many of her contemporaries in the jazz vocal world, and she attributed this to because she had such a unique style that younger people responded to it. I think personally that her music has a very intense and honest delivery that
0: shows a fiercely independent spirit underneath it. Yeah. There, I listened to just bits and pieces outside of this album, like random songs here and there. I didn't, my first listen to this album, I didn't know anything about her. Didn't even know about her being the Godfather or anything. And then upon reading about her and having been uh, sort of classically trained and also being an actress, there was there are elements that kind of reminded me of like Richard Harris that we covered previously. Mm-hmm, of definitely. This, yeah, this sort of like delivery that feels like kind of dramatic and sort of Shakespearean almost at times but Morgana King had i don't know there's just like a a wild mishmash of different things and that's just one element of it going on and like the classically trained is kind of another element and like her insane range yeah uh, four octave vocal range yeah yeah it's there's a lot going on there and that's kind of As far as my brain has been able to process so far, (laughs) there's a lot going on here and it makes me feel weird after I listen to it.
2: Right on. Well, I'm excited to provide a little backstory and maybe some context to all of this, but real quick, before we play another track, I wanted to read a few of the hype quotes on the back of the jacket. First off, Stevie Wonder said that Morgana King has done the best version of You Are the Sunshine of My Life I Have Heard and You Can Quote Me
1: and they did <laughs> yeah
2: that's great yeah i mean keep in mind though that 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 quote is on the record jacket and this album came out in 73 so this is like only a few years after the original came out so how many covers could have been released yet but still you know it's cool that he said it
1: way to immediately undermine it sean
2: <laughs> i'm just trying to be honest you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> i get it
2: Another quote from a legend, Donny Hathaway said, Morgana King has been one of my favorite singers since Taste of Honey. She has a gift that makes popular music classical, and I dig her.
1: Dang, we got Stevie chiming in, we got Donny Hathaway chiming in.
2: Yeah, and Donny makes a good point. I mean, like Jeremy said, she has this classical training, and I think one of the things that makes her so unique is that she has... Elements of classical music and her interpretations of things, even though she never actually worked as a classical singer. But she wasn't afraid to just throw all these different influences and emotions into the final product. Last quote, this time from show favorite Kenny Rankin and his wife Yvonne. We've loved and respected Morgana for years. We feel honored that she's chosen one of our songs to record and made such a gem of it. Aw, That's right. Foreshadowing. There's a Kenny Rankin cover on this album. That's our boy.
1: Yeah. We previously talked about his album, Like a Seed.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's just go ahead and play that track next. It's slightly out of order, but it seems appropriate right now. So she did a cover of the title track from Like a Seed, which if you remember from that song, it has kind of a terrible intro with like children singing and like a weird melody and oh, then once the real yeah. song kicks in it's like incredible um well morgana's is the same thing terrible intro <laughs> an incredible song once it gets going
1: <laughs> i'm guessing we did not feature that song uh, or did we feature it And we cut... i think we featured
0: it and cut the intro <laughs> if i remember right okay
2: because we know <laughs> well, maybe we'll do six, a similar song with similar edit with this song <laughs> So this is side B track one.
1: somehow had forgotten that that was from the kenny rankin album (laughs) it's been a couple years uh that was one of my favorite tracks on this when i when checking it out and i really like the intro with the children sound to it i don't know i don't know if it's actually children singing on this version or just her doing like a childlike voice do we know
2: Oh, interesting i'm not entirely sure yeah, I mean, the, the intro, it's a it's a vibe. It's kind of weird, and it has those ethereal qualities that run through this whole album and much of her catalog, for that matter. But, I mean, no one can argue that <laughs> the intro is not even close to the equal of the rest of the
0: song on any version of it. <laughs> I don't know. It gave me zombies vibes, and I kind of liked it. All right, cool. Yeah,
1: right. I, I think it would be incomplete without it. it it's somehow sets the tone for the next stage the next next passage
0: well we'll go with that i love it (laughs) we've overruled you sean the intro (laughs) slaps i was just ready
2: for you guys to hate it so i was you know
1: just just getting in the right headspace for it (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) okay let's dive into this bio let's learn about the great morgana king together shall we yes all right. Well, she was born under the name Maria Grazia Morgana Messina on June 4th, 1930. And then she lived until March 22nd, 2018.
1: Yeah. So she was with us till just a few years ago.
2: Mm-hmm. Lived into her 80s. Well, she was born just north of New York City and raised in Manhattan. Her parents were both Sicilian immigrants. Her father was a business owner and a gifted musician. Morgana has fond memories of being raised around music and learning to sing at an early age. Her father died when she was 11, unfortunately, and as a result, her family struggled financially after his passing, which might contribute to Morgana's early start in the music industry. She started performing publicly at age 13, and by age 16 had basically made a full-time career out of it. It was also around this time that she changed her name to Morgana King, this was as to not shame the family name while performing at some of the seedier nightclubs that she was getting work at. Interesting. She was married to her first husband very young. His name was Tony Fruschella. Uh They were married in 1947 when she was 17 years old. Tony, at the time, was an up-and-coming jazz trumpeter with a few credits with some bigger bands. Together, they had a daughter named Grayson.
1: That's like a, that's a modern name. (laughs) Like that's what kids are named now.
2: (laughs) I know. Right. And it's even like spelled weird. G-R-A-Y-S-A-N. Head of the game. The couple divorced after nine years, Morgana left Tony, citing his increasing drug addiction and inability to provide for the family, which was a very common thing amongst, amongst jazz musicians at the time. There are many, Very famous jazz musicians who've also famously struggled with addiction, and there are also just as many who never got big because of succumbing to addiction before getting the fame. While they were together, though, Morgana performed when she could and also worked tirelessly to improve her craft, despite basically raising their daughter mostly by herself. During this time, she also befriended many jazz legends, such as Charlie Parker, Lester Young, and Billie Holiday. I guess they had regular weekly dinners with Charlie Parker's family. That's precious. Yeah. In 1956, the same year of the couple's divorce, the year also saw the release of Morgana's first album entitled For You, For Me, Forevermore. And then she went on to release five more albums between the years 1956 and 1960. And then around 1960, she met and fell in love with another jazz musician, this time trombonist Willie Dennis. Willie can be heard on some fairly big records. Most notable was he was on Charles Mingus's Blues and Roots and also Mingus Ah Um. The two were married in 1961. They were very close and collaborated frequently. Together, they toured Brazil while... Willie was playing in Buddy Rich's big band. This tour explores Morgana to Bossa Nova for the first time, which had a huge impact on her sound. During the first few years of their marriage, Morgana did not release any new albums, which I found was because she had signed a three-year contract with the famously mob-affiliated Roulette Records, but had decided to boldly wait out her contract and not release anything after they refused to let her record an album of Antonio Carlos Jobim tracks,
0: huh that is bold
2: yeah that's uh that's not really something you did back then, out of fear of dramatic retribution,
1: <laughs> but when you're in the wife of Don Corleone <laughs> you <can laughs> that hasn't even
2: happened yet. <laughs> She's a the no-name singer married to an almost no-name jazz musician at that point, and she's still willing to be like, you know what? If I can't do exactly what I want to do on a record,
0: then I'm not going to do any record at all for three years. Amazing. Even if it means my legs might get cut off or something. <laughs> yeah, for real.
1: Yeah, they they apparently did not make her an offer she couldn't refuse.
2: <laughs> she made them one. Yeah. yeah. And Morgana is the one making the offers at all times here. <laughs> She came back strong, though, in 1964, releasing three new albums in that year. One of them, With a Taste of Honey, was a big hit on the mainstream records label, and the title track became her signature song that she performed at every live show after that. That year, in 1964, she was nominated for the Grammy for the Best New Artist, but ended up losing to... anybody have a guess? What year was it? 1964. The Beatles. The Beatles. It was mm. the Beatles.
1: Was it the Beatles? Of wow. course
2: it's the Beatles. Yes, she lost to the Beatles. For the best <laughs> new artist. Uh, unfortunately, the following summer in 1965, her husband, Willie Dennis, died tragically when the brakes failed on a rented vehicle and he crashed into a tree in Central Park. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, very intense. She's got a bad uh, luck run in the love department there. It's very true, and she was never remarried after that. That was her her last attempt, it would seem. Can't blame her. That's yeah. rough. After Willie's passing, Morgana was deeply depressed and suffering from suicidal thoughts. However, her friend, Frank Sinatra, helped pull her out and encouraged her to keep working and even signed her to a three-album contract with his Reprise Records. Her first album for reprise is called It's a Quiet Thing and was recorded as a tribute to Willie Dennis. Morgana stated that her vocal style was forever changed after the tragedy. Her sound became more spiritual and often sorrowful. That tracks. Yeah, I can again, that just a, a little bit of context for what we're hearing a few years later in 1973. But by this point in Morgana's career, she had become one of the most popular jazz singers of the day, especially after her big hit with Taste of Honey. She was frequently guesting on TV talk shows and getting lots of concerts, some very high profile concerts, and she continued to release albums through the late 60s. Then in 1969, her career was again put on hold when she herself suffered a near fatal car accident that required extensive reconstructive surgery. Wow. This poor lady. So she's kind of out of the picture for a few years after the accident in 1969. And then after years of silence, she returns dramatically to the public eye with her role in The Godfather, which was her first acting role. Kind of amazing.
1: Yeah. Were you you able to find any information as to why Francis Ford Coppola or casting director chose her like how she came to that role
2: yeah so there's evidence in interviews from her talk shows and things like that throughout the 60s where she talked about having an interest in pursuing a dramatic acting career in addition to her singing career so i don't know how many things she tried out for before the godfather but she auditioned and from what i understand was given the part immediately after the first audition francis was just very impressed with her entire demeanor and vibe and just thought that she was absolutely perfect for the role and had this authentic Sicilian air to her that couldn't be replicated by just any actor. In fact, she was initially only supposed to be on set for a week or two. You know, she's not in a ton of roles. She has like two lines in the whole movie. However, they ended up keeping her on for much of the filming basically as a technical advisor because they wanted to make sure that they got especially all the scenes shot in Sicily. They wanted to make sure they got it right. So she was on set helping with the vibe of the film and actually had a much bigger impact on The Godfather than most people even realize. I will say,
1: having rewatched the entire trilogy recently and seeing her in The Godfather Part 1 and Part 2, it had been a number of years since I had watched those. And she somehow looms larger in those films than what she was given i would have thought yes. that she had a larger role in those films until i went back and rewatched them
2: yeah she's incredible in those movies like i said she really grounds the film she has an interesting character she's so likable and so authentic in it it was, it's great seeing her on camera and I, I wish there was more of her
1: yeah i was really surprised uh at how small her her, what she was given was but yeah it's it's amazing what she does with her time on screen
2: so i read that uh for her role in godfather part two which i don't know if i've ever finished and it's been a long time since i even attempted to watch it i might literally start watching it as soon as we're done recording tonight but anyway she dies in that movie and there's a scene of an open casket funeral with her and she refused to be in the casket because she refused to take any scene that wouldn't involve any lines or acting on her part so francis ford coppola was forced to instead convince his own mother to get in the casket for the funeral scene
1: oh wow <laughs> wow Man, what Coppola has put his family through in making his films. <laughs> hey, hey, Sophia, uh, my daughter. You you don't really want to be an actor, but Winona Ryder dropped out of Part Three. Uh, we've got about a month until uh, we're shooting, uh, and you're going to be playing this major role in the film. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. And I love that, you know, she's kind of a star and like definitely important because she was the actor in the first movie, but still to be able to make demands like that. Like, no, I won't get inside of a casket for this movie when, you know, she's not as big of a name as most of the other people on the movie. I just love that that she's willing to make those calls. And again, just be so fiercely independent, regardless of whether it seems like the right move to other people or not.
0: Speaking of making fiercely independent calls i i did a little bit of like reading into her and i couldn't find much about like what led to this album what uh do you have any info on that i didn't find anything specific about it i mean
2: i gotta imagine that you know she had an increased level of fame after being in the movie and was also already a very very respected musician the kind of person that Just about any working professional musician is going to know about her and probably be a fan. You know, the, the definition of a musician's musician here. So I imagine that the fact that she was able to work with Bob James and some of the ace New York studio musicians on this record was just a result of, you know, the Godfather Association and having this career resurgence in the early 70s because of it.
1: Oh my god, Bob James is back on the podcast again?
2: Bob's back, baby. We're sneaking him in. He's on half this record.
1: Yeah, he did the arrangements and played the keys, right, on like half of it.
2: Yes. And then the other half is a guy named Tori Zito, who had worked with Morgana on many of her previous records. So when you listen, the stuff that's a little funkier is Bob James and then the stuff that is a little more lush and classical or old school, big band pop sounding is going to be Tori Zito.
0: Okay. That explains some of the sound of the album. Yeah, I would say.
2: Well, you guys want to hear another song? I think it's time.
1: It's
0: time.
2: Uh, Well, So the first two tracks that we heard were both Bob James. They had a similar feel, and now the second two tracks we're gonna feature are the Tori Zito sounds. This next one is getting weird, getting into some of those darker themes that we talked about, and it's also one of my favorites on the record. This is called The Sands of Time and Changes. We're looking at Side A, track four.
3: sands of time and changes If there's no time, there's no change, I know.
2: That, to me, is a perfect example of Organa's strongest features as a singer. There's such an interesting sense of dynamic about what she's doing. There's so many parts of these songs, especially the ones with just the strings in the background, where it's almost like she's delivering at a whisper. And she can just control the volume of all these different notes she's hitting and have this menace at times and then this ethereal quality to it and it's just so captivating when you really pay attention
1: yeah that was something that really grabbed me when first checking this out is i don't think that anyone would listen and think that she is a bad singer but i could see a lot of people listening and feeling uncomfortable <laughs> for for whatever reason
2: like, yeah just the uh, the nails on chalkboard in the delivery kind of thing. I, Again, I could see this music being very divisive to a lot of listeners. Some people are going to hear it and just immediately be down. Some people might be able to get into it after a while, and I'm sure there's a, a portion of the listening audience out there who just can't get down with these vocals, and that's, that's okay. But, man, it does it for me. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I expected like a, a lighter crusaders inspired affair here, but there's, there's a complexity going on for sure.
2: Yeah. And that Bob James led crusaders vibe is kind of an outlier in her catalog. Like I said, the, other composer and arranger tori zito is the guy that she'd been working with for a long time and typically a lot of her stuff is in more of that frank sinatra heavy strings big band pop sound which I think she just excels at. So much of that stuff sounds so cheesy and dated these days, but listening to Morgana King's version, even her much earlier stuff in the fifties and sixties, it just sounds like it has so much more weight than a lot of her contemporaries. It's more authentic and honest and it it ages really, really well.
1: I was trying to think of vocally who she reminded me of, Uh, you know, and the, the Scott Walker thing was more of just a vibe, than anything else. But there's certain other female jazz vocalists that I really like but they weren't necessarily ones that you know, like Anita O'Day. That's not the right comparison. Did you come up with any any of them Sean?
2: Minnie ripperton a little bit. Okay. You know, obviously coming from a much more soul angle, but they both got those really upper register high-pitched vocal styles and also a great sense of dynamics. So I think there's some similarities in delivery there. I
0: would kind of say like, I'm a sumac like there's a using that voice in a very textural way. That's uh, that might be who I was trying to
1: place who we've previously discussed. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I if we're just going
2: to naturally jump into the recommended album section here, I put Ima Sumac, Voice of the X to Bay from 1950 as the first recommended album.
1: There you go. The one we talked about.
2: Yes. And then I was also kind of struggling to think of comparisons because it's hard to find someone that you can be like, yes, well, this is another Morgana King. She, in a lot of ways kind of stands on her own, but There's similarities to be found. The second recommended album I wrote down is Flora Purim, Butterfly Dreams, also from 1973.
1: Hmm, Yeah, not at all familiar. Well,
2: if either of you guys know, okay. Well, uh, Brazilian singer, so you get some of the Brazilian influence that you can hear a little bit of in Morgana's music, but she's working in kind of an experimental, almost fusion jazz context by 73 and has some really interesting vocal styles and is definitely an artist that we should feature on the show at some point. And the third recommended album is one I think I've put on a list before. It's on my long list of records to cover in the future. Shirley Verrett, Singing in the Storm from 1966. Shirley was a classical vocalist who occasionally did some kind of crossover. This album has a lot of folk music blends in it, but she still approaches pop music with this classical air to it. And That's the comparison that I made in my head to Morgana's vocal style.
1: Nice. Uh, We want to remind our listeners that if you like what you are hearing here in season four of I'd Buy That for a Dollar, there is more content available through our Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash I'd Buy That Podcast. You can subscribe at the $1 tier for early access to these episodes before everyone else gets them. At the $5 tier, you get the early access, plus you get bonus episodes, which we have right around 30 of as of this recording. Just recently did one, uh, released one with our recent guest, Stephen Plastic Crime Wave Krakow, talking about the Cryin' Shames, a Chicago band. At the $10 tier, you can get all that, plus the monthly mix made in rotations by your lovely co-host, myself, Peter
0: Jeremy and Sean. And those aren't phoned in. No. (laughs) We we go hard in the paint on those.
1: It's very true. Yeah, Jeremy uh, gets very imaginative with his. I really need to step up my game. I had to learn how to, like, use the equipment first (laughs) for my first couple. I'll be working on one soon, in fact. And at the $20 tier, which may be full as of this recording, but we'll just uh, plug it anyway. The $20 tier gets you all that. It's the vinyl subscription, so you also would get mailed a an LP and a 45 at least from uh, DJ Hard Sean Hartman, our co-host here, plus a handwritten note. If he's feeling generous, you might get a little more than that, even. Uh, but I believe that that is uh, full. That that is a limited tier. So, but go check it out once again: Patreon.com/slash I'd buy that podcast. tier can always open up at any time. Times are hard, we know, but we appreciate your support of this little venture of ours. We did just have to, today, uh, pay the hosting fees. So that's one of the things that that goes towards. So this is available all over the internet for you, our listeners, wherever you like to listen to it. But uh, let's get back to Morgana King. What else do you have, Sean, to wrap up her story.
2: I've got just a few final thoughts, quotes, and a little bit of info on some of the musicians behind this record. So real quick, we said Bob James was playing keyboard and arranging about half the tracks on this record. So on the Bob James tracks, you've got some familiar names to the pod. We have Bob Cranshaw on bass, who is on many, many certified classic Blue Note records, along with tons of other stuff. All these guys, again, are ace New York studio musicians that could pretty much just work on anyone's record that they wanted to for their entire careers. You also had Ralph McDonald on percussion, Idris Muhammad on drums, Hubert Laws doing the flute and woodwinds, Bob Mann and David Spinoza on guitar, plus many others.
1: Ralph McDonald has to be one of the Most frequently featured players yes Um, I'd buy that for a (laughs) dollar
2: yes one of the most in demand session percussionists, brilliant musician has some really great solo records too I'm sure we'll feature one of those on the pod at some point all amazing players on this record and I didn't write down the studio players on the other side of the record it's not as many familiar names but I did want to mention that the other arranger Tori Zito has also done extensive work with Tony Bennett he also did a few records with Herbie Mann. He arranged one album for Sam Cooke, and he also, shortly before doing this album, had done the string arrangements on John Lennon's Imagine from in 1971.
1: Some no- notable work.
2: Yes. Final thoughts on this record. I think that this album, New Beginnings, is a fascinating portrait of an artist. Like we talked about, she had a lot of ups and downs in her career and there's just, you can hear all of that in the music, I think, you know, this is one of the first albums released after her big car accident. This is the first one that came out after her big Godfather role. She's reinventing herself again, working with Bob James and trying these new styles, which is an interesting thing to do this far into someone's career. You know, she's over 20 years into a, being a professional singer and still willing to experiment and try new things so successfully.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued to go further into her catalog, because it, it's intriguing. It's There's something definitely unique there. And thankfully, this is one of those artists that
2: is really easy to find in the dollar bin. We too often stray and bend the rules and listen to $10 records. This one, her whole career... It's easy to find, and they're all great. That album that I mentioned before, It's a Quiet Thing, that was a a tribute to her recently passed husband, that's an incredible record. I think that was maybe the first one I got from her Taste of Honey I just picked up recently, and that one's also amazing. There's, There's so much good Morgana King to be discovered for very cheap. So if you like this and you weren't familiar before, you're in luck.
1: Yeah, at first Sean wanted to... He was like, I want to talk about someone known for being in a, a film, uh, it, and then you know who's also a singer. Uh, how about we do Nico the Marble Index? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, Sean, that's that's not a cheap record.
2: Yeah, he had to rein me back
0: in.
1: Yeah, he was he'd been watching La Dolce Vita on repeat for days.
0: <laughs> you live in the strangest world in your head, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a little peek (laughs) inside
2: just a little bit of what was happening after this record morgana continued to record and perform up until the early 90s when she pretty much retired mostly to help raise her grandson however she had said that throughout her entire life she still her goal was to educate herself every day listening to jazz and classical music and practicing singing And she stated that anyone who is not continually working to improve themselves is living in a state of masturbation. Ooh.
1: (laughs) From mama Corleone herself. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You're not working hard enough.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that is the perfect note to end things on.
2: Uh, it's not the perfect note is a quote from Morgana King that says, I am my own captain and this is my ship. I don't want anybody messing with my steering wheel or my navigation. We're going King.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, and I guess we want to end it on a note, like a musical note, probably what, what were you going to feature for the final selection, Sean?
2: We are going to feature the song called a song for you famously covered by previous. I'd buy that for a dollar alum, the carpenters.
1: Yeah, you know, and we featured Aretha Franklin's version
2: before, too. Oh, yeah. This is, this is a Leon
1: Russell song, correct?
2: Uh, yes, it is.
1: Yeah. It's a great song.
2: A hit for many people. Kind of an instant, like, new American songbook song, it would seem.
1: Kind of like the aforementioned Nico, who did Jackson Brown's These Days, <laughs> which is a song that a lot of people have done, and it's also in that vein.
0: Peter is in front of one of those conspiracy charts right now. (laughs) The string.
1: Connecting it all. Connecting the dots. Well, fantastic. Great selection, Sean. Great episode. Good information. Thank you so much, listeners. My name is Peter Cook. This has been I'd Buy That for a Dollar.
0: My name's
2: Jeremy Ruggles. And I'm Sean Hartman.
3: In time, yes, I've sung a lot of songs. I made some bad rhymes. I've acted out my life in stages with ten thousand people watching, but we. And I am singing this song for you I know your image of me is what I hope to be If I treated you unkindly, darling Can't you see that there's no one important to me, oh please won't you look through me, cause we